1: Welcome to the Yoga in My School live radio show on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Donna Freeman. I'm the host of the show. We welcome you today because we have a fabulous guest who I'm very excited to have chatting with us today. I have used his book for years. It's actually one of the resources listed in, in Once Upon a Pose, a book that I wrote um, for teaching yoga to children. And have um, referred to it for years, and I'm sure that uh, many yoga instructors have done the same, and it's the book Yoga Anatomy, by, um, and he helped co-write this. Leslie Kamenoff is our guest, and we will be getting to some of his insights into yoga anatomy and the breath and i really want to encourage you to listen right to the end because he's going to give us some essential information on how to avoid stress injuries from yoga and so much more in the next half an hour we are really looking forward to it before we get to that however I wanted to let you know about um something that in the yoga in my school community we've been waiting for for about 8 months now and it's finally coming up we have our first training webinar scheduled and it will be held on Tuesday, September the 27th, that evening at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 o'clock Pacific Time. If you can't make that time, know that it will be recorded, but we really encourage you to make it live and in person. The topic for the training webinar is ABCs of Teaching Yoga to Children, Essential Skills, Attitudes, and Guidelines for Success. And what we're going to be doing is going through, of course, the alphabet with 26 foundational tools that will ensure your success as you go out and share the benefits and joy of yoga with the youngest yogis. And I'll just give you a little bit of a preview, let you know that A is for attention, and you will learn the key to improving attention span so that you can keep those little ones engaged and on. On task, which is like gold, so we really encourage you to to learn about it. It will be posted later on this week, and registration will be open. However, space is limited, only a hundred participants will be accepted into this first webinar, so you know get in and get there, and you can find out more information on our Facebook page or on twitter at donna k freeman and again it will be the registration will be opening later on this week. all right. So, on to the good stuff with Leslie Kamenoff. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. There's always just a little bit of a delay. Oh, okay. uh, Now, you don't like to be referred to as an expert. I, I understand that. But you've got 30 years of experience with yoga, anatomy, and the breath.
2: Well, yeah, that could just make me stubborn. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I could. <laughs> uh, but most people consider an expert as anybody who's put in about 4,000 hours, and I would consider you've put in probably double that in 30 years.
2: Well, actually, if you listen to Malcolm Gladwell, it's 10,000. But uh, Oh, there
1: you go. You know,
2: who's counting? Actually, I did are. count one. And I, I think um, a conservative estimate of the number of hours I've spent doing individual work with people, that doesn't count. Uh, also teaching group classes and workshops and trainings just the numbers, I've, numbers of numbers hours I spent with my hands on people working with their bodies and their breath uh it comes to about 20,000 at this point
1: there you go well yeah. i'll just i'll just put you kind of up in the guru category for me and and you can be humble about that whole thing as much as well, you that, want
2: that word is even scarier than expert so
1: you <laughs> know isn't it though
2: let's just let's just stick with someone uh who's been doing it for a while and who's been hopefully paying attention and learning some lessons from it, and that's what I hope I can share with you
1: guys. Well, that's that's definitely what we would like from you. You have a really wonderful way of making anatomy one of the most interesting aspects of practicing yoga. How do you do that? Um,
2: Well, I, I, I don't know that it's even something I think of doing or how. It's just, for me, it's just so much of an obvious, uh focus for what we are doing as yoga people um that it's what gets me excited it's what gets me interested and i think just you know because i'm teaching and sharing from that place uh it gets other people interested and exciting you know i mean uh if i were i don't know an accountant who was just like super excited about accounting and you know found that it was Something that really motivated my life and and just you know got me all juiced up. I I probably get managed to get people excited about accounting. It, it just for me it happens to have been you know yoga and anatomy and these are the things that that um, I've found interesting over the years uh, and uh, I'm sharing my interests. You know I don't mm-hmm. have any formal edu- I don't have any formal education in anything that that I teach. You know I barely got out of high school. Um, never went to college really. Uh so I've been a self-learner for pretty much my whole life and uh you know as such uh really what I've always done is followed my interests and now that I have a chance to to share that with a wider audience uh, it just makes it even even more exciting.
1: Mhm. Well, thank you for for being enthusiastic and being prepared to share because that takes things that step further, that the rest of us can benefit from your enthusiasm. So thank you. Cool. Now, how does a knowledge of the mechanics of the body, kind of how it functions, allow us for a deeper mind-body experience?
2: Well I think it has to do with uh, a word that uh, we use a lot when we teach uh, when I say we uh, I I mean myself and uh, my uh, partner in writing the book and in running the reading project uh, Amy Matthews uh, who's a a, a brilliant uh, teacher and she's the one with all the letters after her name you know, she's a certified, certified movement analyst and she's got a masters and this and that and blah 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 anyway she's got a lot of letters after her name um but uh you know when we um when we teach this word embodied comes up a lot mm-hmm. and i think it's it's rather easy for people to pursue yoga and and not necessarily and this sounds strange not necessarily be in their bodies very much you know we you can uh have a kind of a mystical uh view of what you're doing and um practice yoga uh postures breathing and so on not necessarily as a way of getting deeper into your body, but uh, in a way to get past it or beyond it. In fact, some of the ancient teachings really do promote this idea that we're trying to transcend the limitations of the physical body. Now, we happen to not agree with that point of view. We take a very non-mystical approach to yoga. And so the only way to go is into the body and to to extract from our practice the insights about What makes us tick? You know, why do we react the way we do to certain things? You know, why is this uh, position uncomfortable and this one easy? And then when we're teachers, we, you know, go beyond the um, uh, dictates of what our own body is like and and look at other people's bodies who may be very different from us. You know, what Mm makes that person uh, able to do something so easily that I find so difficult or vice versa? So this is really how it was for me when I started. You know, I began... Teaching and the Shivananda organization uh, back in nineteen seventy nine and uh, you're teaching pretty much the same basic class to everyone who uh, who you're dealing with you know um, you're not modifying the sequence at all, and when you do that uh, as an instructor, you get to see just a wide variety of uh, abilities that people have mm-hmm. to to do or not do the things you're teaching and that's what got me curious. You know, and I, I began experimenting and trying to uh, figure out how to get uh, certain people that were having difficulties with poses uh, to be able to do them better. Which means I had to sort of essentialize what is, what are we really trying to accomplish in this pose? You know, even if you can't stand on your head, what can you do, leading up to that will, that will be useful that might eventually allow you to stand on your head. So this is how I was thinking all along. Um, of, of course, that meant that I could no longer you know teach in that particular organization forever yeah. but uh you know um we all have a starting point and uh hopefully we we are able to develop beyond that so without understanding uh, the basics of the mechanics of how the joints operate and you know what muscle action is and uh and in particular how all those things relate to this process we call breathing um i just don't think we can have an embodied Yoga practice. It doesn't mean we can't practice. Well, we may be doing something else. We may be, you know, doing some sort of mystical thing that we're uh, that we're involved in, and that's fine. It's just not what we do.
1: Mm-hmm. And so it's not being don't...
2: embodied. It, it, that's basically what I'm going to come up with about being embodied. Yeah,
1: really getting in touch with your body and how it works and understanding that so that you can. Use it and well, and also
2: understanding how the how the fundamental principles of yoga are really derived from the body. Mm-hmm. You know things like prana and apana and shita and sukha, or the idea <clears> of dupa <sukha throat> and dukkha. You know all of these terms that we're familiar with in yoga that really uh, are at the root of of what the teachings are trying to tell us. You know, you don't have to go to uh, an ancient text or some mystical teachings to derive them you just have to look at life you have to look at uh, the way a cell operates you know it takes in uh, nutrition it gets rid of waste you know and we're made of cells we're doing the same thing so these fundamental yogic principles are um, derived really from looking at life and we are an expression of life and so it's not like you know i'm suggesting that we take a non- spiritual approach to yoga. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I make a distinction between spiritual and mystical. Uh, Mm -hmm. Although we take a non-mystical approach, I think what we do is extremely spiritual uh, because we're going in and understanding uh, how our life force operates uh, through investigating uh, our bodies, which are the the vehicles for this life force. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really getting right down to who are you, and how do you manifest yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually?
2: Sure, and how do you deal with your limitations? You know, that's the <laughs> thing about yoga. No matter how flexible or strong you are, you're going to run into <laughs> things that you can't do, you know. Yeah. And even if, let's say, you know, theoretically you can do everything, you know, how long will you be able to do that for, you know. Yeah. So we're, we're running into the limitations of uh, of age and time and um, not just time in terms of the fact that we age, but time in terms of how much time do you have in your life really available to master all of the yoga practices, you know? Mm -hmm. Is it your full-time job? Do you do nothing else? Are you in a cave? Are people feeding you
0: while you (laughs) do this,
2: you know, 20 hours a day? So, you know, there's always limitations, and understanding... How to deal with limitations is really at the root of yoga practice because there's this whole component of yoga practice that Patanjali tells us that has to do with surrender, has to do with with, uh, learning to not try to control the things that you can't control. You know, it's called Ishvara Pranidhana. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, it's a very important principle.
1: It is. Um, Along with that, a lot of the workshops that you give, you examine opposing forces. Right the support and release stability, freedom, space boundaries. why do you focus on those opposites?
2: Well, because that constitutes the the uh experience of our embodied life on this planet you know uh it's the nature of our consciousness as well as our bodies you know we're i mean you know on the one hand when we're when we're forming concepts for example. Uh, You know, on the one hand, we integrate, you know, we take several instances of something, each of which has something similar within them, and we extract that which is similar. You know, that's that's the process of integration. But also, embedded in that is the idea of differentiation, is that you have the ability to distinguish this from this from this from this. And that's at the root of how our consciousness operates. So we can't get away from uh, appreciating how these uh seemingly contradictory forces are always at work you know it has to do with the way we that we breathe our breathing our human breathing at least is uh both voluntary and autonomic you know we have some control over it and there's parts of it that we absolutely don't have control over so if we're if we're not uh noticing the dynamic between these opposing forces then we're simply not paying attention to our lives mm.
1: you
2: know, uh, I mean, yeah.
1: the only entity,
2: well, the only entity that is not subject to these forces, is that that theoretical mythical entity called God. And you know, uh, we are not omnipotent. We are not omniscient. Uh, we are not. Yeah, <laughs> as much
1: as we'd like. We to are.
2: See. We are humans, and mm. as such, we have to deal with uh, the all of the opposing uh, dualistic forces that that we are subject to and yeah. uh when you're looking at the body, for example, you can look at things like tension and compression. You know that's how you understand uh, the spine or any other structural elements mm-hmm. of the body you know you you look at how it's put together and you look how the spine uh is engineered uh in such a way that it can very very beautifully um uh create a balance between the uh compressive forces of weight bearing. And the uh tensile forces that are generated uh in in movement uh, mm-hmm. and the way that these are so beautifully balanced in our structure leads to the fact that the spine is a is a self supporting structure it has a springiness to it it wants to be upright it has this nature within itself to want to be upright so if you're experiencing a lot of uh tension and effort uh in your dealings with gravity, uh what we would say is. Learning how to make that better isn't learning how to uh, engage more effort or the proper effort. What I would say is that you have to figure out where you're working too hard, figure out how to not do that so much so that the natural sort of intrinsic forces of support are allowed to operate in your system. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you notice when you study anatomy is that there are a lot of built-in mechanisms in the body which... Uh, allows it to support and take care of itself. Uh, More often than not, when things go wrong, it's not because we uh, aren't working hard enough, it's because we're working too hard and and we're getting in our own way and we're getting in the way of these natural forces. So that's another lesson that we get from the teachings, that yoga is a process of of unobstructing uh, something that's natural, that's already present, that's there. we, We come from the standpoint that there's nothing essential that's missing that you have to add in in order to be healthy or happy. It's already there. It's already present. We just have to get out of our own way and deal with the obstructions. Patanjali is very clear about this. You know, He goes into great detail about the obstructions and what they're like and makes some suggestions uh, about how to deal with them.
1: I love it. I'm going to have to uh, mull that over for a little while. That's, that's good stuff.
2: Well, hopefully not for a little while. Hopefully for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's a
1: long time, but yeah. You know,
2: we don't get final answers to these questions. <laughs> oh, okay, I got it, figured it out. I don't have to think about that anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's Done. why. That's why I don't like words like expert and master and things like that. Mm. It implies that yeah, initial.
1: I understand you that have
2: some, You reach some yeah, some final state of knowledge or completion or 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 and you're now this thing called an expert or a guru
1: mm-hmm.
2: or, or, or whatever, <laughs> and that's you know. I mean, look, if Krishnamacharya himself would not allow the title of yogi to be attached to him...
1: Yeah, there you go. ...or even guru,
2: you know, then yeah. who am I, you know? Yeah, exactly. He would, he would let people call him Professor. Uh, there. And acharya. And in certain contexts, Acharya was, was appropriate when, when um, referring to Krishnamacharya. But, you know, he in fact said... Quite clearly, and his son, my teacher, Desikshar, has said this on more than one occasion, that that uh, anyone who calls himself or allows himself to be called a yogi is most certainly not.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes, we are truly on, on a continual path of self-exploration, aren't we?
2: I certainly hope so. At least those are the people I like to hang out with.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Always open to new Concepts and That's the great thing
2: about my job, you know, is I, I get I, I I'm not forced to hang out with or deal with people that I that I don't like, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good stuff.
2: I'm I'm my own boss, you know. I'm surrounded by wonderful people who I work with, who come to study with us, who are attracted to what we do because of what we're putting out there in the world, and uh, it, it's really uh, I'm very fortunate that way because you know a lot of the people I know who, you know, clients or whatever, they're they're pretty much feel like they're in a situation where they are just forced to, out of economic necessity, to go to a job that they don't like and deal with people that they can't tolerate. And there's a lot of suffering involved in that. And uh, you know, as, as difficult as it was to, you know, basically invent my own profession and forge my own way without, you know, the traditional uh, advantages of a college education or whatever. Uh I, I think in the long run uh, it's it's paid off quite well because, you know, I, I, I'll i never have a boss, uh, you know, which is good because I, I would make the world's worst employee it would, it would not be a fun situation. <laughs> but that
1: takes a lot of courage to be able to really forge your own way and go your own path and not do what you've, you know, been told is what you do when you grow up. You get a job, you have a boss, you, you go to work. And and that, I think well, that yeah, takes a tremendous to. amount of courage.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I was viewing it as courage at the time, or even now, looking back, if I uh, can see it that way so easily, although, you know, I agree it does. Uh, but <clears throat> at the time, again, I was just following my interests mm-hmm. and, um, you know, uh, in some ways just being defiant, you know. <laughs>
1: and there's, there's that stubborn
2: there's, streak there's again. There's healthy ways to be defiant and not-so-healthy ways, and, you know, uh, that's something we all hopefully sort out over the years.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. I want to take a minute, well, actually a couple of minutes, and do a section called Two Minutes With. I'm going to ask you kind of quirky little questions, get to know you a little bit and some of your likes and dislikes, that type of thing. I'll try and give quick
2: little answers instead of just All right. Sounds good.
1: So this is Two Uh, Minutes with Leslie Kamenoff. I want yes. to know what one of your pet peeves is. Littering. Ah, there you go.
2: I, I think the that, f- that, 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 you know, the baseline level for being considered a human being in society with other human beings is not throwing your shit on the ground. That's, <laughs> a, that's, that is, that's the one thing that really pisses me off.
1: There you go. Do you prefer yeah. fiction or non-fiction?
2: Um, well... Prefer in the sense of getting enjoyment from reading fiction. Yes, but what I end up reading more often than not is nonfiction, just because of (laughs) reference books and anatomy Mm -hmm. text and so on, uh, because of the writing that I do.
1: All right, a food indulgence.
2: We're not going to ask me my favorite author.
1: Okay, let's jump back. Favorite author.
2: I'm pretty much on record as as having Ayn Rand as my favorite author. I just wanted to put that out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, read it. that
2: so the, yeah, so the next question was about food, was it?
1: A food indulgence. So if you have you know an, an evening that you're just like, oh, I need that, <laughs> craving for something. I
2: need, I need that. You know, a really good risotto
1: mm.
2: with um, black truffles.
1: Oh, there you go. Yeah, you're not yeah, holding I, I don't back need at all. Calories, but
2: yeah, that you know, that's highly caloric, and I don't need them so much. But if I wanted something as an indulgence, that that would probably be it.
1: Well, and that's comfort food, big time. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Would you prefer apples or oranges?
2: Um, apple. Oh, just just as a snack.
1: Yeah, as a snack. Reaching into oh, the
2: um, the food bowl, apples. what you're grabbing. Pardon
1: me? Apples. Okay, what kind? Uh, Oh,
2: well, McCoon's. We have some really nice apples here in the Birchers, but McCoon's are a nice uh, uh, sort of uh, variety. um, But, uh, you know, a a good, crisp, tart Granny Smith always hits the spot if you have it with a little uh, little sharp cheddar cheese. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, that's a good one, too.
1: All right, and the last one, a little bit more in depth, your aha moment, kind of the moment oh, that you went, I like this stuff. Was, this is.
2: There were so many, but um, I, I mean, I tell the story of a major one as it has to do with, with breathing, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd have to go with the the first seminar that I ever took with Desikachar. Char. It was it was the first time I met him actually, which was back in um uh, uh, 87 um yeah and uh or 88 actually, it was probably 88. Um at a seminar who's doing at Colgate University and uh it was it was when I tried this really crazy upside down breathing thing that he teaches for the first time. And um it, it really, it really happened in the space of like a couple of seconds where I made this decision to breathe differently than the way I had been and had been teaching and was deeply invested in teaching, and um, it, it really set me on the course that uh, ended up, uh, you know, uh, turning into what I'm doing now. Uh, but it ruined my breathing for about six months. You know. <laughs> oh, was, great. Well, you know, it's it sort of like yeah, you had, had, to, you had to relearn. Had been, Well, if you have a motor that's running, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in a certain direction, you know, and it's blowing into your window, but then you switch the leads and the fan all of a sudden reverses and starts pulling the air out, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of crap that's been blown into your space by that fan over the years, and it takes a while for it to get out. And that's really what it felt like. It was really like reversing the polarity on my entire energy system um and it wasn't just physical it was uh, mental emotional intellectual every level was affected by that one breath i took and uh, uh you know i i tell the story about it when i'm teaching sometimes and it was really quite astounding um the uh significance for me uh when i when i did that um and i then i had to explain why i had to explain to myself mm-hmm. uh and everyone that i was working with you know why did this way of breathing works so differently and so much better ultimately uh, and because nobody in the teaching tradition including Desikachar himself really explains things uh, on an anatomical basis at least not to the depth that I was looking for I had to come up with the answers myself All
1: mm-hmm. all right
2: that's what I share when I teach
1: yes Well, and that's why everyone comes to your workshops. (laughs) It's like, okay, you've got good stuff. And it's on a level that we can understand, and yet it's so in-depth and so practical that we really appreciate the way that you do that. Uh, Briefly, so we can give this information out to all the yoga instructors out there so they can help their students, what are the three most common stress injuries from practicing yoga Mm -hmm. and how do we prevent them?
2: The most common ways people hurt their bodies in yoga. Yeah. Class.
1: The most common ways people hurt their body. They come to yoga class. They know it's going to help them. And then after a couple of months, they end up injured. And they're going, "What the heck? Like, what did I do?" And so, how well, can um, yoga instructors help that? Prevent that?
2: Okay. Well, uh, the first question was, "What are the most common ones?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd have to say that the most the the, the body parts most at risk are uh, knees. Uh, shoulders, and uh, lower spines. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in that order, although I may put the shoulders ahead of the knees a little yeah, bit. Yeah, depending
1: if they're doing a lot of uh, shanga. A lot of, a lot of and, yep. Yeah.
2: As it's gotten more and more popular over the last 20 years, we've we seen more of the upper body stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. So, yeah, and for example, knees, you know, I just don't teach lotus, for example. It's not
1: part yep. of... Mm -hmm. I teach it because I teach kids, but I don't teach my adults that. (laughs) Oh, it sounds like we've just dropped um, Leslie. So hopefully he will phone back and give us the answer to how to help your knees, shoulders, and lower spine now that he's told us that these are the, the issues that we're looking at. And uh, we will probably, for those who are listening live today, we will probably go a little bit later um, so that we can uh, can get his answers. And, um, and if you are listening to a recording of this, I will edit out all of my ramblings while I fill in time. Um, so there you have it. So it has been fabulous chatting with Leslie um, and and hearing his responses to to these questions and how he talks about really getting into the body and learning about what is going on with the body and doing that from a physical standpoint first and and understanding the mechanics of of really how our body works i know he refers with a lot of um automobile uh, visuals and uh, and really takes the body apart piece by piece so that you can then put it back together and make it work in a better way. Uh, I want to remind everyone about um, the upcoming training webinar that we have, uh, the ABCs of Teaching Yoga to Children. And we want you to be sure that you're watching for that announcement for registration on that. And I'm hoping that this is Leslie who's doing just, Yes, Leslie, welcome back.
2: Hi. What happened there? We just, I, the line went dead.
1: Yes, yeah, somehow the line was dropped, but not a problem. Can you give us the uh-huh. answer to the question? So it's knees, shoulders, and lower spine are the three most common areas for injury, and how can we prevent injuries?
2: Okay. Yeah, I think I started talking about LOTUS. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I got cut off somewhere in the middle of my Lotus rant. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, I I, I, I think the the way I usually sum that up is that if if you can do it easily already, you probably don't need to be doing it. And if you can't, it's probably not worth the risk. Um, You know, there's so many other fun and great and useful things that you can be doing without uh, taking the two longest levers of your body uh uh combining flexion and, and, and rotation uh simultaneously in a way that uh is is going to possibly damage your, your cartilage so we, we avoid that pose altogether um, uh the shoulders you know uh and i would i would put sh- you know shoulders wrists arms and neck in, into that whole grab bag there of 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 sort of vulnerabilities that, that people have um, you know i, I think that uh, we're all benefiting enormously from the tremendous popularity of yoga in the world today. And a lot of that popularity I think is due to the uh, influence of Ashtanga and the sequencing of, you know, uh, flowing with the breath from pose to pose and all of that uh, because it became very popular uh, in gyms and health clubs and, you know, it just exploded in, in the world mm-hmm. when people realized you could, you can get a workout and, you know, you can do something that was intense and, um, all of that um, the, the downside to that is that the sequencing is very very dependent on upper body support uh, you're doing a you know, bajillion down dogs up dogs and chaturangas and you know uh, simultaneous with the rise in popularity of yoga over the last 20 years also is, is the fact that people are spending a lot more time at keyboards using their hands and wrists uh, in ways that are not necessarily healthy with with you know their input devices and so You know, it's it's kind of a a collision of uh, culture if you think about it. Because the more time you spend at the desk working on computer, the more hunched over you get. The more you realize, oh, I should be doing something healthy like yoga. Then you go to some place and do yoga, and the first thing they ask you to do is you know down dog, up dog, chaturanga about a hundred times. It may not be the best thing for you. You know, so uh, what I've tried to put out there is the fact that you can do a strong, flowing vinyasa practice without putting any upper body stress. Uh, into your upper extremities without having a weight bear in your upper extremities. And uh, you just have to know how to do it. And that's why I put out a DVD called um, Breath Centered Yoga with Leslie Kamenoff. And it shows this, what I call the warrior sequence, which is really quite strong and moves your spine in all directions. Uh, but you never have any body weight on your arms. So you just have to be creative and kind of know what you're doing. Uh, and, you know, you can help people without running the risk of uh, endangering their already vulnerable upper extremities. And then when you do what about learn the lower to weight spine? there, uh, just one last thing on the arms, when you hey. do, do, I'm not saying that we never do poses where you weight are on the upper extremity, but I consider that to be intermediate level at best. I don't start beginners on it. And when we do teach mm-hmm. it, we teach it to do it properly. We teach you how to you know, channel the weight through your bones in such a way that you're you know, um, not stressing out your joints and using your muscles correctly. And, and so, you know, there's, there are correct ways to do it that can be very therapeutic. I just don't think you're going to get it in some group class you get you just jump into uh, right off the bat, never having done yoga before, and you're asked to do upper body supports. So that, that would be my point. And, and what do you say, lower back is the last one. Yeah, right?
1: the lower spine.
2: Um, I think for the lower spine, what what a lot of people have to realize is that their breathing muscles are their postural muscles. So how you breathe has everything to do with how well you can or cannot support your center of gravity region in your lower spine and pelvis. And uh, uh, the ability to use your lower abdominal muscles effectively in an exhale and in breathing in general has everything to do with what's going on Uh, higher up in in the region of the inhale with your diaphragm and the base of your rib cage and all of that. And no amount of learning belly breathing is actually going to fix that. Because (laughs) belly breathing is just just one way of using your diaphragm, but it happens to be a way of using your diaphragm that requires your abdominal wall to release and lose its tone. Uh, And that's precisely what you need in order to support your lower spine. You need to have some tone there. You need to have, you know, what is now being called core support Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't you can't do that if you're constantly forcing these inhales down into your abdominal region. So, you know, w- w- a lot of the breathing that we teach has to do with understanding uh, how certain breath patterns uh, are very um, supportive of your posture and your spine, and others actually aren't. It doesn't mean that they're not good, it just means that, you know, when you're doing, say, restorative practice or shavasana or hip openers or something like that where you're trying to disengage, then belly breathing is fine. You know, it's about relaxing. It's about releasing. It's about being horizontal and letting go and all of that. No problem there, you know. But you don't want to be breathing as if you're lying down when you're trying to stand up or vice versa. So the idea idea is, is to allow your system to be adaptable enough and responsive enough to what you're doing so you're not locked into any... Uh, limiting patterns that are going to be sort of maladaptive in in some context. Uh, And and believe me, we all have maladaptive reading patterns. You know, it just comes (laughs) with the territory.
1: We pick up bad habits and we like to reinforce them until we learn something better.
2: Well, exactly, and some of the stuff we learn in yoga actually has the, the potential for uh, reinforcing some of the breathing habits that we we should be reevaluating. You know, just because you can move your lower abdomen, your your upper abdomen forward on an inhale, doesn't mean you're doing an effective abdominal breath. It just means you're protruding your upper abdomen. You know, mm-hmm. this means you're it means you're moving your abdominal tension forward and backward. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, fabulous stuff. Absolutely fabulous. Cool. I, uh, I can't wait for a time when uh, I am actually in one of your workshops and can uh, can learn from from one of the best of them. So I appreciate well, your well, time Well, you know, the, today.
2: Great, the great thing is you don't have to be in one of my workshops anymore. because I know you have it all well online now.
1: now. So yes, tell yes,
2: people my how would kill me if I didn't mention it my producing partner Kelsey Kaufman who's wonderful she's in Colorado it's yogaanatomy.net uh so just you can find everything there there's a free newsletter we send out really great video tidbits once a week of you know things that I've taught and poses deconstructed and things like that uh so there's a totally free newsletter you can sign up for there and if you're motivated you can sign up and take the course online you know we have a uh, I think close to 200 students worldwide in over 25 countries. It's it's just fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. So you can get all of this uh, right from the comfort of your own computer uh, uh, yes. at yogaanatomy.net.
1: Fabulous. Thank you so Here. much for your time today. There, the ad. And, and thank you very <laughs> much. And,
2: and thank you for the chance for this shameless self-promotion.
1: <laughs> You're very welcome. Have a wonderful okay. day.
2: You too. Take care.
1: Will do. This has been Leslie Kamenoff with Yoga Basics and Beyond, yoga anatomy, breathing, everything you ever wanted to know. Uh, we've had a wonderful conversation with Leslie. Um, we hope you have enjoyed it, and definitely go check him out. He's also on Twitter at Al Kamenoff and on Facebook. So. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on iTunes. All of our interviews are there for free download. Put them on your iPod and listen to them as you drive, as you walk, as you go about your day, and I'm sure that the many ex I better be careful. The many people who have such great experience with with yoga and with mindfulness will be able to touch your life and give you much to think about as you continue on your own personal journey. My name is Donna Freeman and I am the founder of com. Thank you for joining us. Namaste.